All right. If you have your Bibles, open them up, turn them on to James chapter 3, and also we'll, well actually we'll start in Matthew chapter 7. Later on, we'll go to James chapter 3. It's amazing how much of life hinges upon various decisions that we make at some point in life, decisions of faith, decisions of character. You think about your spiritual life and about how it begins with that decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And from that decision uh, erupts uh, spiritual growth in your life through the Spirit of God. We look at the Bible and we see how people made decisions that in faith they followed God and God changed the trajectory of their life. I think of Abraham who was told to go to a land that God would show him. He didn't know where he was going, but in faith he followed God, and it led to the birth of the nation of Israel. I think of Esther, the young queen who was known for her beauty, who eventually became known for something much greater, her courage, as she found her, her people on the brink of genocide, and she summoned great courage to go before the king, stand for truth, and save her people. That decision, that character-driven faith decision, changed the course of her life and the course of her people's life. I think of Peter, who had betrayed our heavenly, our, our Lord, Jesus Christ. And I think of Peter as Jesus was dying on the cross, how he repents of his sin and he turns back to God. And as a result, God uses Peter's life in a great way through the early church and throughout the New Testament era. I always want to contrast uh, the Apostle Peter and Judas. Both of them betrayed our Lord. One of them turned from their sin back to God, and God was able to restore and use the Apostle Peter in such a magnificent way. At some point, our life becomes a sum of the decisions that we make. Whenever we make decisions that are wise, then our life begins to reflect wisdom's art. Our lives become the canvas upon which God uh, paints his story for you and for me. But whenever our decisions are foolish, whenever they are driven by selfish ambition, or whenever they're driven by envy, over time, that begins to reveal itself as well within our lives. Both wisdom and folly eventually show themselves for what they are. Whenever Stacy and I moved into our first house. It, we were the first people ever to live in it. And so before we moved in, we did an inspection, but I didn't really know what to look for. I'm not exactly known for being a handyman. But uh, as we moved in, we were real happy in the house. And after about two years in the house, we noticed that there was black mold that was beginning to grow in the pantry. It's not really a good idea when you have black mold growing where your food is. So eventually we decided we need to get to the bottom of this and figure this out. So we called a plumber. He came out and he looked and he discovered that the pipes that were in the concrete in our home had not been wrapped properly. So over time, the lime from the concrete had eaten through those pipes and they were now leaking into our pantry and causing the mold. That's kind of how it is with uh, foolish decisions. Over time, it begins to leak out and permeate every area of your life. And all this reminds me of a parable that Jesus told us towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told this parable. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man 
who built his house on the rock. The rains fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. So Jesus here tells a story. There were two men that built houses, and the houses that they built within the parable are to represent their faith. Is their faith genuinely in the gospel? Are they truly believing the words of Christ or not? And their lives, uh, their faith then is seen within the lives that they built. Now, outside, their lives were very similar. From the outside looking in, they probably both built very nice homes. They lived in the same neighborhood. Whenever it rained on one, it rained on the other. They were both very close to the river. They probably had loving families. They were probably men that uh, cared about their children, cared about their wives. They had good jobs. These guys had a lot in common. They probably both enjoyed fajitas from Christina's and chips and salsa. Both of them thought this would be the Cowboys' year. This is the year that the Cowboys will win the Super Bowl. This is the year that Dez will catch the ball again. You know, this is going to be the year. Both of them had hopes and dreams from the outside Their lives were very similar. But there was a difference. Jesus says that one of them was wise, and he built his house upon the rock. So it had a solid foundation. The other was foolish. He was lured by the beachfront property to such a degree that he built his house upon a sandy foundation. Jesus says the wise man man had genuinely believed in the words of Christ. And because of his genuine faith, he was building his life on a foundation of truth. The foolish man appeared to believe in the words of Christ, but in reality, he was not building his life on his faith. He was not building his life on the gospel. In reality, he was building his life on his own wisdom, following after his own selfish desires. From the outside looking in, their lives looked very similar. Until the rain came. Now, Jesus doesn't exactly say what the rain is supposed to symbolize. It may have been sickness. It may have been that layoff at work. It may have been a season when the marriage went through difficulties, a miscarriage, problems within the external family. It could have also been death. But when it rained... One man's life stood firm. One man's life revealed itself to have been built upon wisdom. And when it rained, the other man's life crumbled. When they stood before God, one man was righteous and one man was foolish. One man had walked in wisdom, the other man had walked in selfishness. And so as we look at the story that Jesus told there's a question that each of us have to wrestle with, and that is, which one are you? Which one are you? Are you the foolish person that's building your house on the sand? 
Or are you the wise person that's building your house on the rock, on the gospel? Jesus ultimately says there's two ways. There's the wise way and the foolish way. And you're going to have a foundation in your life that is either going to be built upon the rock, upon the truth, upon the gospel, or you're going to have a foundation in your life that is built upon the sand, envy and selfish ambition. And so I asked the students in the room today, which way are you going to go with your life? I asked the parents in the room today, those of you that have been given the awesome responsibility of shepherding a young person within your home, which way are you going to parent your children? Towards the rock or towards the sand? I asked the couple that is trying to build a relationship and build a marriage, which way are you going to build your home? I asked the person that is a uh, business person, which way are you going to build your career? And as a church, we also have to wrestle with this. Which way are we going to do this thing we call church? Are we going to do church merely pursuing our own selfishness, or are we going to do church pursuing Christ as our foundation? At some point, you have this decision. At some point, you have to come face to face with the reality of what's my foundation going to be? Am I going to build my life the wise way, or am I going to build it the foolish way? Well, in James chapter 3, he digs into this idea of wisdom and foolishness a little bit deeper. So look with me to verse 13 of James chapter 3. James, who was the half-brother of our Lord, he writes, Who is wise and has understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. Now in verse 14... As you peer into the heart of a person who is building their life on the sand, you see that there are two things that are in the heart of sandy foundations. One is bitter envy. The other is selfish ambition. The easiest way to build your life on the sand is to constantly want someone else's life. Last week we looked at the parable the prodigal son. Now, when we think about the prodigal son, normally we come at it from the standpoint of the forgiveness, the restoration that was seen within the story. But as we looked at it last week, we tried to to see how envy was a major part of the prodigal son. You have the younger son and the older son. And the younger son was envious of another life. The youngest son looked at the life that he had lived. He looked at the values that he had been taught since he was a young boy. He looked at the job that he had there working with his family and working there in the fields. And he thought to himself, I want a different life. And so in his selfishness, in his arrogance, he goes before his father and he says, give me my inheritance now. And then he leaves everything that he has. He was envious of another life. So he leaves his family. He leaves the values upon which he was raised. He leaves his job. He leaves his friends. He even leaves his country. And he goes off to pursue his envy, to pursue his foolishness. And, of course, you know the story. 
he winds up landing in the pig slop. And eventually he returns back to his foundation. Now the older son we sometimes miss within the story. But the older son was also envious. The older son was envious of grace. The older son had been a good kid. The older son had stayed with his father. The older son hadn't wasted his inheritance. The older son was working hard in the field. The older son was living by his values. And when he sees his younger brother return and he sees the father embrace him and celebrate his return, the older son is envious because he couldn't understand why the younger son would be welcomed home. And he landed in bitterness and anger. Now, I see both of these scenarios take place within the church. I see young people that are raised with godly values. They're raised by moms and dads that love them. And at some point, you begin to become envious of the world. And you start chasing after those things that are not of God. And you abandon your values. You abandon your family. You you live your life. And you start building your life on a sandy foundation, chasing after these things. And one day, the storm comes. You find yourself paying the consequences for your decisions. But I also see others that within the church, man, you've, you've, you've made wise decisions. You've grown up in church. You've grown up with values. You've become an adult who is now trying to raise your children in this way. And sometimes I see God's people become envious of God's grace. And you start thinking to yourself, I've done the right thing. Man, I go to church, I tithe, I I try to live by values, and yet I see these other people that that don't deserve these blessings, and I'm like, God, why don't you bless me like you're blessing them? And just like the older brother, you become envious of God's grace because you think, I deserve the grace of God. Now think about that for a second. Deserving grace Whenever you start falling into the mindset that I deserve the grace of God, you have totally emptied grace of its definition. Because grace, by definition, is unmerited, undeserved favor from God. And yet sometimes we fall into the trap of the older brother and we become envious because we see God blessing other people and we say to ourselves, must be nice. Why didn't God bless me this way? And then we land in the pit of bitterness. Now, we often don't think of envy as that big of a deal. But if you read Scripture, envy was present all the way back to Eden. They were envious. They wanted to be like God, and so they tasted of the fruit. You find envy nestled within the Ten Commandments when God tells us, do not covet. Don't covet things that are not yours. Live the life. Be the person. Accept the person and the design that God has given you. And don't get trapped into the grip of envy because it will always lead you to foolish decisions. But secondly, James teaches us here that a foolish man is a salvation man. A a, a salvation man. A foolish man is a selfish man. A selfish individual who is always looking out for number one. James says they brag and they deny the truth. They start bragging about who they are and pursuing their own efforts, and they deny the reality of who God is. I think of that country song by Toby Keith. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about number one, oh, my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. Any of y'all like that song? It's kind of catchy, isn't it? Yeah. 
Well, that's a selfish man. That's a selfish attitude. I, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about number one. I want to talk about what I think, what I like, what I know. And yet often we bring that selfishness into Christianity and into the church. Now, all of us have a theology. You may not realize this, but you have a theology. Your theology is how you think about God, how you understand God, how you talk about God. And for many people, their theology is really very selfish in, direct, in, in its roots. Whenever you really package how you process God, your understanding is that the goal of God is for me to be happy. And so God created this world. He sent His Son. His Son lived a life that I couldn't live. He died on the cross. He's coming again. God has done all these things just to see me smile. And so whenever you have that mindset, the goal of church becomes to make me happy. And so you come into church almost like you're going to Disney World. You come into church with the expectation of, What's happening here and what's going on here, it's all about my pleasure and my happiness because you're approaching God as a consumer. And your mindset is that He exists for me. Now look, assuming you have teeth, I think God does like like to see you smile, okay? I think God does find delight in your happiness. But, But understand this, God didn't create you for you. And God's goal for your life is is not just for you to be happy. One of the most powerful things you can do in your Christianity is to begin to turn this mindset. A lot of us have this mindset that here's my life and God revolves around my life. And so in that thinking, God exists for your glory. So when something good happens to you, Uh, you know, praise God. When something bad happens to you, you get angry at God because you're actually in the God position and you're having in your mindset, you're having God revolve around you. Now, what I want to challenge you to do is to flip that theology, to begin to see God at the center of all and to begin to understand that God has created you for His glory and your life revolves around God. Now, whenever you begin to understand God in that way, it allows you to live with the reality that in everything that I do, I want to bring glory to the name of God. And that then permeates every area of life. So when you go back to school, you want to study and you want to go to school in such a way that you're honoring God. In your parenting, you want to honor God. In your marriage, you want to honor God. When you're walking the dog around the neighborhood, You want to look for ways to honor God. The way that you treat the person in the restaurant, the way that you treat the umpire who makes the wrong call on your son's Little League baseball game, you're wanting to honor God in everything that you do, and that that one singleness singleness of thought, that mindset becomes your foundation that I'm trying to live in such a way that I honor God. Whenever you begin to think that way, then your life suddenly increases in potential because now you have the opportunity to be a part of something that really matters because you're living beyond you. Your life is anchored into the story of God and your life is anchored into something that lasts forever. Now, this is hard. This is really hard in our society. 
in our society, it's all about instant gratification, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of pleasure. And so in our society, a lot of the messages are sandy messages rather than truth messages. We want things now. We want our food in an instant. How many of you had this discussion in your house last night? What's for dinner? Oh, I don't know, whatever's quick, right? We want communication to be instant. We want to be able to buy stuff with a signature. But look, life is about more than just being happy and, 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 and living your life just for the pursuit of stuff and, and your pleasure. Whenever you die, and I stand here and your body and stuff's there, give me something to work with, okay? All right? I don't want to stand there and say, hey, you know, he got to level 55 on Pac-Man. And, you know, in 2004, his fantasy football team won the championship, okay? And, and I don't want to stand there and say, well, she was really good at Pinterest, and she had a really great farm on Heyday, you know? I mean, give me something to work with. Live your life for something that has substance and builds your life on a foundation of truth. Well, James t- teaches us that the foolish way leads to destruction, In verse 15, he says, Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now, I could could spend a lot of time on those three words right there, okay? This selfish ambition, this envy, it's not from heaven. It's it's earthly. It's going to perish. Uh, It's not spiritual. It's of the devil. It's of the flesh. And he says, For where envy and selfish ambition exist... There is disorder and every kind of evil. And if you look into the dark, seedy places within our culture, you will see that in each of those events, in each of those places, there is envy and there is selfish ambition and there is a desire to pursue my way, my thoughts, and to live as if we are God. The the fastest way to destroy your life is to think only of yourself. And the further you go down that path, the longer you walk in selfishness, the more destructive it becomes. And James says eventually you reject truth. You find yourself always in conflict with people around you and with conflict, in conflict with God. And I, I've seen it, and Jesus talked about it, that eventually whenever you get to a point where you've walked in selfish ambition and envy long enough, you can't even see truth for what it is. You reach a point where you start thinking foolishness is truth and truth is foolishness. There's this misnomer within Christianity that God gives us boundaries in order to restrict us, in order to keep us from really living life and enjoying life. But the reality is is that the boundaries are there to protect you and to bring wisdom into your life. And at some point you have to decide, am I going to fight against God and rebel, push off against his truth? Or am I going to build my life on the truth? And let it be my foundation. Verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, without favoritism and hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. What does this foundation look like that's built upon the rock? Uh, James says, The wisdom that is from heaven. In other words, this wisdom is spiritual. 
This wisdom is godly. He says it's pure, it loves peace, it's gentle, it's compliant to the will of God, it's, it's full of mercy towards others, it produces good fruits in your life, uh, and it does so without favoritism and without hypocrisy. Instead of cultivating and sowing conflict, it brings about a righteousness that sows peace and cultivates peace. That's what godly wisdom looks like. Stacy and I were celebrating our seventh anniversary a few years back. Today's number 18 in our lives. You don't have to clap. Don't, no, it's okay. You don't have to clap. Oh, <laughs> thanks. You, you guys shouldn't have. I, I, I'm overwhelmed by your, by your joy. So we were celebrating our seventh anniversary, and we had gone up to Decatur, Texas, where my in-laws live, to spend a week. And uh, we, were, we were hanging out at the new Grapevine Mills Mall. Remember back when that was new? Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. So we were hanging out at the Grapevine Mills Mall, and we, were, we, we decided we needed to go ahead and head home because there was a storm headed that way, and so we started driving. Now, this was back before the iPhone. So how did you hear about the weather when you were driving in a storm before your iPhone? You turned on the radio. So Stacy's got the radio going, and it's pouring down rain, and the rain is getting louder, and so she's blaring the radio louder and louder and louder and louder, you know, so it's like the weather service, you know, it's just like awful noise in the car, and eventually it says there's a tornado warning for Wise County, and she says to me, Lash, where's Wise County? And I look at her, and I say, we just entered Wise County about 30 seconds ago. She goes, no, seriously, where's Wise County? I'm like, I am being serious, okay? We're in Wise County. And so the further we go, uh, the more they talk about this tornado that's this tornado activity in Wise County. And eventually they say, if you're in Wise County, you need to take shelter. So we pull off the road, and there's a Walmart, the savings place. And there's a Walmart there. And so different kind of savings place that night, okay? So, so we run into Walmart, and we tell, in fact, I find the manager. I'm like, you might want to get these people to a secure spot because they're saying there's a tornado coming. They get over the loudspeakers, and they talk about it. They have us all gather in the middle of the Walmart, and, and we find a clothing rack, and we take shelter beneath a clothing rack like that was going to save us. But anyway, we took shelter beneath a clothing rack, and, and a tornado touched down right around us. Now, thankfully, it didn't hit the Walmart, but it was so close that it hit the Walmart parking lot, and it hit buildings right around that area. And so we, we eventually come out of our hiding place, and we take a look at the destruction. And all around us, there were cars that were damaged, there were signs that were damaged, there were businesses that were damaged, and we realized we had survived the storm. Well, the two men's lives were the same until the storm. The storm came. And when it came, the foolish man's life crumbled. And the reason why it crumbled was he had built his entire life on envy and selfishness. He hadn't had a genuine faith in the gospel. The wise man's house stood strong. Why did it stand strong? His faith was in the gospel. He had built his house on those things which were from above. He lived with a wisdom that came from God. He didn't rebel against God. He followed God. And he lived his life purely, pursuing peace, 
gentle and compliant to the Holy Spirit, full of mercy towards others. Within his life you saw good fruits without favoritism and hypocrisy. There's a popular saying these days, YOLO. Did I say it right? You guys got to keep me hype, okay, so that I, I stay. Yeah. So YOLO means you only live once. Now, what's really ironic about this saying is that it's usually used as an excuse for doing really stupid stuff. Son, tell me again why you thought it was a good idea to take my truck and run it into the lake. Well, Dad, YOLO. You only live once. I thought it'd be fun. (laughs) Now, the reality is, on this earth, you do only live once. And your life is a gift from God. Your life is not just a choice from your mother. Your life is a gift from God. And before you were ever born, He knit you together in your mother's womb. He has a divine destiny for your life. And you matter to God. So build your life on Christ. Live your life with wisdom. Pursue His glory and not just your selfish ambition. And there's going to be storms that come into your life. There's no way to live life without adversity. It's part of the reality of this world. But when your life is built on a foundation of wisdom and truth, when your life is grounded on the gospel, when the storms come, your life will stand strong. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. Paul and the band are going to come, and they're going to lead us in a a song of worship. I'm here at the front. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, encourage you in, it's my joy to do so. It may be that in your heart God's been working, and you're seeing your need for Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I would love to talk with you about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow Christ as your Lord. Others will spend this time in prayer, and you can pray at your seat. You can come forward and pray. Still others will sing praises to God during this time. This is a holy moment where we worship our Holy Father. And Lord, we bow our heads before you because you are the King of all, and we acknowledge that You are God, and we are not. And we want to thank you for the gift of life and ask your forgiveness for those moments where we live our lives as if we are you. Help us, Lord, to take our one and only life and live it in such a way that we pursue you, that we pursue the gospel. And, Lord, may we build our lives on wisdom. Help us, Lord, not to get caught in the grip of selfishness. Help us, Lord, not to desire someone else's life, somebody else's family, somebody else's calling. Help us, Lord, to live the life that you have given us and to realize that within our lives there is joy and there is delight and there is opportunity to make much of our Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, we pray for wisdom to do just that. 
It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.